This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Just be sitting up there jacked Pepsi. I'm there for the pot goat. You just got to pack me in committed to the boat early on like i love getting close and putting up you cover a range of stuff on here too right like we call this the uh, the thp world headquarters you know my grandpa roy weatherby i came into like that golden little pocket where there was like four or five different bowls just you're canadian we're doing yeah, a canadian I... podcast my name's douglas Bode. i'm robbie denning Royal Canada. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you guys I, have been um... busy eh been following yeah. you there you, you guys uh you're out in bc here for a while yeah yeah we uh went out chasing some goats there we flew in uh july 28th season opened august 1st and uh we were in there till the 6th um uh, yeah i didn't get one got dang close but uh no my buddy shot shot a good one with his rifle nice nice you were just hunting with uh with a bow though so it's yeah. uh it's a definitely a little more challenging chasing goats with with a bow in hand than a rifle so the the only reason i didn't get one is i uh i was at 50 yards from two good goats um one was probably just a bit over nine and one was probably really close to 10 um the, one, the smaller the two he stood up and gave me three different shot opportunities over a three hour period or a two hour period there, but uh, I was holding out waiting for the bigger one to stand. And he just, he never stood up over two hours and, and the wind happened to swirl and they were gone in a blink of an eye. Damn. That happens though. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. yeah I, oh, well, that's it's fun to get that's out. A, oh, it is. And, and you know what? I don't regret it because um, if you don't try, you don't know what's going to happen. That's the decision I made and uh, I'm good with it. I, uh, I was in the zone there. Yeah, it's always, I mean, it's always one of those things. And like we've all passed on animals. And then looking back, we might have regretted it. But I mean, the thing is, 
like you said, you don't know what you don't know. And, um, you know, if uh, you're never going to get those world-class caliber animals, if you just shoot the first thing that comes along. So, um, yeah, no, it, it looked like a lot of fun and it was good to see you guys at least uh, get a little big success there. But, uh, but man, you guys have been slaying it. I see. Is that the same buddy that uh, you had out that you came out to BC with that you brought out to yeah. Alberta? Yeah, so I, I went out with him last year. He couldn't make this year's trip happen. Um, but his his dream was to shoot, you know, a good mule deer. And uh, I, I don't know. I've never hunted mule deer for BC in BC. And, I mean, it looks like every year they kill some good ones. But I think mm-hmm. maybe Alberta just has a few more mule deer kicking around. Yeah. And uh, it was his dream. And I'm like, yeah, man, come on out. Like, let's get this done. So we, we planned it. And... Um, yeah, he come out and right away we were, you know, getting on mule deer and, um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. It, it was a great time. And he got some shots at, at some elk, you know, shot over a couple, shot under a couple and yeah, he had a great time. So I was really happy to send him home with a, a nice mule deer there. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, like there is some big, there's some nice big mule deer in, uh, in bc here don't get me wrong they're just i I think bc is so thick and dense in the plate in a lot of places so you just don't get your eyes on the ones that you know that are out there as much but i know when i go out to alberta i mean i'm always seeing i'm always seeing big bucks out there it sure gets me excited one you know talking with cody too he said that i don't like obc it's basically like hunting a rainforest or a jungle in a lot of places mm-hmm. and you know you might see a deer that's an absolute monster and you may never see him again yeah yeah and well, that's the thing is when you're hunting those mule deer and they're in such thick steep nasty places that when you do get your eyes on them yeah it's exactly like the the that might be your one and only opportunity to get eyes on them but uh, yeah they certainly like to get into that thick stuff and i mean when you're hunting that class of mule deer, they're, they get to be pretty cagey. They're not like the, you know, the smaller two, three points that you see rolling around. They get pretty, they get that big for a reason. So those deer, they're, they're skittish, they're smart, and they just don't like to be pressured at all. They don't like anyone around. So um, like, like I, I do feel there is some, some big monsters in BC and every once in a while you see, you'll see a picture of somebody taking one down and, and, and getting them. But they're definitely, uh, they're, I'm not going to say, well, I don't know. I'd say there's probably more mule deer in, in Alberta than there is in BC. I, I would think anyway. Yeah. And I think the hard part too, about a mature mule deer is typically they, they don't pattern that well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they kind of go where they want, where they want. Right. So not only are they cagey and flighty, but you know, there's no rhyme or reason to what they do. And, and that makes it even more difficult. Yeah, for sure. 100%. So I, I want to talk a little bit about elk hunting in Alberta. Um, yes. Um, but first, maybe we'll talk a little bit about archery. And uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about was kind of like what your process for shooting is during the hunting season. So, I mean, obviously, you know, throughout, you know, when, when it's not the hunting season, we get to shoot a lot. Like we can shoot as yeah. much as we can. And I, it's funny. I was out yesterday and I was shooting my bow and I, I think it was around 20 arrows. And I was like, man, <laughs> you start to feel it after a while because you're yeah. not used to shooting 
every day or as much every day because when you're hunting you just don't get you're hunting you're not you're not shooting arrows you don't get the opportunity every day to shoot shoot your bow so um what's it like for you during the hunting season yeah and you're absolutely right i mean shooting during the hunting season is something that you know i think everybody needs to actively remind themselves of um myself included right because you're just in straight up hunting mode Mm. um and you know in september it's easy to you know, be done the morning hunt and want to go have a nap or something. Um, and realistically, hunting season is when we should shoot our bow the most. Like we take these things to hell and back. Like, I mean, we're packing them up mountains, dragging them up trees, crawling through crops. And um, it's so easy for something to get banged up. And typically what I do is, you know, I'll, I'll do a morning hunt uh, if it's slow. Um, you know, I'll swing by our ranch, stop in. We got a, a full range belt there out to 130 yards. Um, in my truck at all times, I keep uh, some field points, a um, couple practice heads. Yeah, and I'll just swing by and I'll go out. And typically I'll take, you know, one or two cold shots right out at 60. That's where I'll start off. And, uh, you know, because that, that simulates hunting to me. And yeah. I want to make sure. And, you know, if, if things are good there, um, I'll still shoot but I maybe won't shoot as much if things aren't good, then, um, you know, I'll take a bit more time and I'll really solidify that it was, you know, myself, my form. And if that's all good and things are just not hitting right, then, you know, what? it's straight back to basics. I got a paper tuner at my farm, um, you know, and I can tell pretty quick if my field points are hitting on, but my broadheads aren't, you know, something's moved with my rest and, uh, you know, I'll get the square out, set the center shot again. Um, I shoot uh, that Bowtech SS34. So I got the the deadlock cam. So, I mean, I set the center shot again and just quick tune. And that's a nice thing. Like, I don't even need a bow press and I can have that thing tuned right up um, and back to shooting good, you know, in a matter of half an hour, 40 minutes. Because usually it's only one or two things that... Um, get moved and and then the other thing is right beside our ranch uh by my shooting range maybe 100 yards away we have a pretty steep hill and i got a little portable target so i'll go over there take a couple shots downhill and uphill um because third axis is so easy to get that you know bumped out and i i don't think and i'm not downplaying people's knowledge but i just don't think the average you know shooter understands how much a third axis can make a difference on uphill and downhill shots absolutely 100 and i mean those like the uphill downhill shots i mean that so many times in hunting are are you using that especially here in bc with all the hills and stuff so yeah absolutely third axis this plays a huge role it's funny like I, I mean, now we talk about third axis a lot, but it, like five, six years ago, man, we weren't, I, I don't even remember third axis being in a conversation with oh, it. Yeah. So um, it, it's definitely come a long way, but yeah, I, I'm similar. Whereas, you know, I, I morning hunt go out and I definitely try to get a couple cold arrows in. And I, I definitely know I don't shoot as much during the hunting season. Um, obviously you can tell, like, like I said, the other day when I was out shooting, I was shooting 20 arrows and like, man in the summertime or in the peak of your you know when you're shooting shooting 50 arrows you you could do it no problem right you're not feeling any fatigue at all but um yeah it's definitely good to get those cold arrows in and and like you said especially when you're trucking around the bush i mean it doesn't take much for a branch to hit your rest or you know bump your sight a bit and like i know a lot of people they take it for granted is like if your rest moves 
at any any little mm-hmm. monumental increment, it's going to throw your shot off, and you know it could be it could be detrimental to uh, your animal that you're pursuing. Like if you know if it's off a little bit at 20 yards, if you're trying to shoot it at 40 yards, man, it, it could they could make or break you. Yeah, absolutely. And then like when I go sheep hunting and on this mountain goat hunt, um, there's a company in, in Alberta here called Grizz Targets mm-hmm. and they make this great little target. It's, I think it's 12 inches by 12 inches, but it's got, um, strings in it and it's super high density foam. And so when I go on these mountain hunts, I use it as my, you know, a flat cooktop, um, a, a glassing pad to sit on, but the way it's designed is you hang it from a limb or like when I was hunting mountain goats, um i propped it up between two rocks which isn't how it's meant to be used and then i actually hung it off our hiking poles because with the ropes you shoot it and it swings Mm -hmm. and that takes out a lot of the energy right because it's only man i don't think it's more than two inches thick and it's light um so it's built for those backcountry hunts and and i always take that because i mean when you get in that terrain and the rocks and you're climbing and strapping shit to your backpack and it's getting bumped around and I mean, those are the hunts you need to make sure you're on. Yeah, for sure, dude. And like you talked about that last time, and and I know I was looking into that, Um, especially on like a flying hunt. If you're doing a a flying hunt with a bow, it's like, man, that bow is going in the back. It's not sitting on your lap. It's going in the back and like, you don't know what it's going through back there, right? You're looking forward. You're, you know, you're, there's a lot to see. You're not worried about your bow. So yeah, definitely on those hunts. I know uh, I didn't, I don't have any hunts like that plan for this year but definitely when i get into you know next year depending on leh's and stuff and i think i'm going to do we're doing a goat hunt next year so i'm definitely going to be be looking into something like that because yeah man like so many times i just remember even like going on like a five deer mule deer hunt and like man you just never know like you hope your gear is good like you hope fingers crossed right but i mean like if you got a 210 inch buck on day five sitting there right in front of you and you know he's at 40 yards and then then you find out that something on your bow is off it's like oh my god like are you kidding me like yeah so yeah that that's definitely cool it's definitely uh it's definitely a must i think um well and even even my buddy i mean he drives you know an hour each way to go hunting so it's you know it's a long ways to go back home midday and he'll throw you know just one of those 18 inch by 18 Uh inch targets in the back of his truck and he'll go back, have a sandwich, have, you know, some water, kick his target out and shoot. And yeah. he's even to the point that, you know, he'll get out there in the morning. And if he's got an extra five minutes, he'll turn his headlights on where he parks, kick that target out at 20 yards and take a couple shots just to make sure. And I think the biggest thing is, is, you know, most of the time you're going to be on, but you make a couple good shots and it really builds your confidence. Yeah, 100%. That's key. Yeah, well, absolutely. Confidence, confidence kills, man. And especially when you're bow hunting, it's like, if you're confident with your gear and confidence with your ability, man, it just like eliminates, it just eliminates everything in your mind. And especially like, especially on like, like hunting, like throughout the season, cause like hunting at the beginning, exciting. But when you start getting into like the, you know, October, November months, man, the mental fatigue starts to wear on you throughout the season. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I mean, like we're all still excited to, to get out and go hunting, but it does play a, a toll in, on, on yourself, on your, on your body, on your mind. And so just making sure and knowing that your gear is gear and yourself, your abilities are, are, are where they need to be, you know, it makes all the difference. Well, absolutely. And I've, I've had it before where, you know, you make a couple bad shots on animals back to back, 
um, and you lose confidence mm-hmm. in that equipment. And it's just, I personally don't feel you can get it back. Like sell the bow, get a new one. <laughs> That's where I'm at. And it's yeah. once it's gone, it's gone. Right. Oh, it's almost man. like trust in a relationship when it's gone, it's gone. Yeah. Well, 100%. And it's funny you say that because like, it's totally true. Like, like, with that, like I, I was shooting that, you know, I shoot PSE and I, I, I was shooting that Mach 34 and I was just like, man, like it was shooting good. And then all of a sudden it just started shooting bad. And like, I just in like, it, I had it in my mind somehow that it was just like, man, like what's going on here? Like what what's with this bow? And then I'd pick up like the Omen and it'd be like bang on. Right. And then, so it just sits on the rack and it never gets shot. And it's like, well, you know, it's not the bow. It's just yeah. like I have that in my for some reason, it's just like cataloged in my head that, you know, there's there's just like a bad relationship between me and this bow. Yeah. That's what it is. Like, it's it's funny. Yeah, that's totally true. So yeah. I I had a, a guy I know. Well, I, I know through a friend, he brought his bow up to me to, to do some work on first time I ever worked on that uh, bow tech with the deadlock system. I don't think there's a better yeah. system out there than that. Like no shit, it is amazing. Like how easy that is oh, it, to use. It's, it, it's great, and it's really changed um, tuning for the average person. Like you don't need a bow press anymore. And my my buddy um, sets up my bows and puts strings on because he has a bow press, uh-huh. and but that's where it ends. Like he puts it together to, you know, press it, tie the peep in, do all that stuff, new strings. Um, and after that, I mean, he usually just cause he's a nice guy, you know, takes the time to get it semi tuned and then he hands it to me. And I mean, it's not shooting bullet holes when I get it, but from the time that, you know, I get the bow in my hand, if I have nothing going on and I can focus a hundred percent, from the time I get that bow in my hand to the time I have broadheads grouping with field points is probably not more than 30 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, yeah, I, I couldn't believe it. And like, it's, it's, it's come such a long way. I mean, even like with the new system that PSC has just with the C clips, I mean, that, that just makes life so much easier. I yeah. mean, before you're putting it, like I have two presses here at my house in my shop and it was like, man, it, like it just never ended. Like when you wanted to, it was like popping axles out and like taking strings mm-hmm. off. And then it was just like, man, like, and then you'd have to shoot, right? And then you have to do the process again and shoot. And it was like, man, the process was so daunting. It it, it was almost like close, fuck it, good enough, right? Like yeah. fuck, just because it's like, I, you know, I, I got stuff to do. I just, I can't sit here and, and fiddle with this thing for three days because, but that's what the process was like. And it's like, Shim a little bit, you know, top cam, shim a little bit, bottom cam, thicker shim. Like, and every time you did it, you're pulling strings off, popping the axle out, putting like taking it out of the press shoot and just repeating the process, man. And it, it sure is like, I, I, that was the first time I used it. And I was like, man, I don't think that you could even come up with a slicker system than this. Like, like I, I, I'm going to be surprised if all the bows don't adapt that in some way, shape or form here in the future because man it sure made life easy like we were literally we had him we set i I set up a center shop shot and i just put it at 13 16th and you know he was a little bit off so i just adjusted his cam a little bit and i just you know it it didn't it took like a quarter turn yeah and then you know another like not even a quarter turn and it was like bang on and i was like are you kidding me it's that easy wow yeah and now their target bow is like they got um 
the the grip lock so you can change the angle yeah. of the grip and they got their time lock on their cams that you can you know change your holding weight and micro adjust your draw length and um and your timing like the technology that they're bringing to these bows with a set of allen keys is just yeah. mind-blowing yeah i know and, and they're doing it so you don't like they're doing it with the average guy in mind so you don't have to like every and that's the thing is like and i tell people all the time that like when people bring their bow to me and they're like oh i i the d my d loop blew off and i'm like okay listen to me you should fundamentally you're shooting a bow now for how long four years you should know how to tie your own d loop like this is yeah. something critical like put knock we're gonna put knock points on this thing and like you're gonna tie this d loop on here i'm not gonna do it and you're gonna sit here and do it until it's done and like i give you a couple extra and go home and like just practice like because like if you're out in the bush and like your d loop gets caught on a you know a, a, a tree or a branch or something and tears I mean, like, you know, you shouldn't fundamentally, like, you should know your equipment a little bit, at least enough to tie a D-loop on. Like, that's kind of like entry-level stuff. Absolutely. And and even, like, you know, thinking about it, a D-loop to the, you know, a semi-experienced person seems pretty simple. But, like, I didn't, back in the day, I didn't even realize that your knots had to go opposite ways. Oh, yeah. And yeah. which way the top knot went and which way the bottom knot yeah. went and, like, something as simple like as simple as a d loop is still somewhat scientific to to a degree yeah. right and well yeah and it's very shooter unique like i know i know some guys depending on like what release they use i mean myself i like a little longer d loop than you know than a guy shooting a you know just a, a finger release would, would use or a wrist strap right like just because i use i use a thumb release and I like that little bit because I found that when I'm at full draw and if it's too small, when I torque my hand to fit into my anchor, it was kind of twisting the string a little bit. Right. And that just yeah. wasn't lining up. So I like a little extra. So then it plays with, and I tested all this stuff out. I put, you know, put my bow in the draw board and I, I, you know, I'd mess with the D loop and stuff at full draw. So I tested it out, but yeah, like you're right though. Like a lot of guys, even though they know how to tie a D loop, they don't know that you, the knot needs to go on the opposite side, depending on what hand you're shooting. Um, yeah. Uh, but those are things you definitely like, those are things that you should take the time and learn as if you're going to be yeah. a bow hunter, if you're going to be serious about it, if you're going to, you know, all this stuff that you put so much time and, and energy into practice and shooting, you know, all these arrows, knowing your gear goes a long way and and when you when you know your gear when you learn your gear when you become familiar with how things work in your bow you become i think you become a better shooter because you start to learn all the processes yeah. and how everything works yeah absolutely and i think the biggest thing too is um when your equipment is set up right not only does it shoot better but typically it's more forgiving and let's be honest the majority of the people when they shoot an arrow at an animal they don't pull through the shot they're probably gripping the bow they probably got too much facial pressure on it they're probably not anchored right like all that basic fundamentals and and i would say the majority of the people that goes out the window when you got a bull screaming in your face at 20 yards oh, yeah. like it's gone yeah yeah like well, and, and only that, yeah, like sometimes you just need to step out of like step out of anchor and like 
not pull through the show, just punch it. Sometimes you just need to do that, right? Like sometimes, you know, if a situation presents itself, and that's why I like, that's why I like, I, if I'm shooting all the time, I'm pulling through the shot, no question. But, you know, I can guarantee you, like, if I filmed all the animals I've shot at, I guarantee you there's a lot of them there. I'm just like, you know what I mean? Like I'm, oh yeah, you're moving around like this, this last, this last elk I shot, I had to move around a tree and I, you know, I had to twist my whole body and like my face was out. Like, there's no way I was pulling through the shot of that. I, I punched it. Right. But I mean, you know, he was 15 feet away, so it didn't really make a difference, but situations like that, like absolutely 100%, you're dead. Right. Like when you're in this, when you're hunting in the zone, like, man, you know, there's, you're definitely not, you're definitely not running through your processes like you are when you're just shooting at a target. Well, and I think especially there, there's a few animals that really, you know, take that shot to the next level. And it's because of how you hunt them, like spot and stock mule deer, right? The buck stands up, draw back, shoot. You know, he's been bedded for two hours. Um, rutting elk, they're coming in screaming. He's chasing cows, running satellite bulls off. It's like, here's your 3.2 second opportunity. Make it happen, right? Yeah. Like I had a client once. And I was behind him a bit and the bull came right in screaming in his face and he shot him. And uh, I'm like, Oh, you know, the shot maybe looked a touch high, but it's, it's still good. I said, what pin did you put on him? And he looked me dead in the eye and he said, all of them. <laughs> yeah. <And> it's, it's <laughs> just like, you have no idea what actually happens. And, and I've thought back to shots and it's like, did I aim in the right spot? And what pin did I use? And it's just, that whole you know 10 seconds of time is just gone you don't yeah. remember yeah man 100 i remember yeah like so many times when 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 things happen that quick i mean don't get me wrong like there's definitely been instances and i, I think back on a few animals where you do have time right you do have lots of time you mm -hmm. know they don't know you're there you're at 50 yards and like you have all the time in the world it seems like but you know for the most part yeah when you got an elk coming barreling in um it, you know it, it's yeah i mean you know things go pretty quickly especially when you only got a second or two and that second or two is going to make or break it whether you're coming home with that animal or not well and there's so much going on right like some of these zones they have point restrictions so this thing's running in and you're trying to count points look oh, yeah. for the window of shot opportunity get drawn figure out what yardage he has like I'm honestly surprised we kill anything in the bush with how much is going on. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Especially like, that's a good point. I mean, we have a six point restriction here. So yeah, I mean, you know, when you look at elk enough, you can, you can kind of, you know, you have a good idea if you, you know, quickly to judge whether it is, but I mean, still you have to be 100% sure. And if you're in this thick stuff, I mean, like lots of times I've thought, Oh man, that's a six for sure. And then you, you get a, another look and you're like, Oh no, that's only a five. Right. So yeah, yeah I mean, it, you know, you definitely, you definitely want to err on the side of caution there. You'd rather watch it walk away than, than pull the trigger just to walk up to it and find that, uh, that it's not what, uh, what it needs to be for sure. Well, and that's why I think, you know, shooting through the winter, you know, going back to just executing a good shot, shooting through the winter, um, is so important because it just creates that muscle memory yeah. and it just happens automatic when you are in those, you know, high stress situations yeah for sure no doubt so how was uh you did a lot of target archery this year yeah um throughout the winter i uh, shot a lot just about every thursday night there's a town just south of me 40 minutes and they would have 3d night go down there shoot uh 42 targets two rounds of 21 so and that was fun you know what uh it wasn't really a league but it was the same guys going you know most of the time and 
you know, you just have a little friendly competition. So that, that was good. And then this summer I shot, yeah, I think I shot five 3d shoots. Nice. Um, yeah. So that, that was a lot of fun. Had a great time. My took my son to one, he shot his first 3d shoot and he loved wow. that. And yeah. yeah, shot another one with my wife, which was great. That was our, um, anniversary every year for our anniversary, we go and do a 3d shoot. So that's always a good time. Um, but yeah, it's fun. I, I really enjoy it. And I, yeah, I just, I like the 3d. I yeah. really enjoy the 3d. Yeah, me too. We do the one in uh, in uh, Invermere there that Pete Hope, Pete and those guys they put on. So uh, the same thing. We had the kids out there. That was our second year out there. So, but man, it's a blast. It's good. I mean, that you know, it, it'd be nice to do more of them. I do one a year. It would definitely be nice to do more of them. I just you know, it just seems like the summer just slips away with you, and um, you know, it, it always seems too like all the ones that are located in in an area that's close by and easy to get to, they all seem to be happen at the same weekend i don't know it's just bad bad they need to communicate a little bit being like hey like you're doing it this weekend why don't why don't we do it the weekend after that way some guys can you know you could get you could kind of do a little circuit but around here yeah they definitely seem to uh, bunch them all together yeah and i think alberta does a really good job of that like there's a couple really key big shoots and they're always the same weekend you know first saturday of june and then other clubs just know it's like we don't want to host a shoot that weekend because we know no one's going to show up because they're all going to this big shoot right so i do find they try to really work with each other um and you know if there's a shoot going on one weekend in grand prairie and the same weekend medicine had i mean you're 10 hours away right so they'll host them the same weekend because you have two different demographics but alberta does my opinion a really good job of talking to each other to try and avoid that yeah, I know my brother, he went to the Oilmans this year and he said it was it was quite the event. He said it was pretty amazing. He said there was tons of guys there, which is good to see. I mean, you know, when COVID hit, you really weren't sure. Like it was kind of like a slow start back to uh back to getting them all going. But man, it, it's good to see that I think, you know, I think they've all for the most part, the majority of them recovered and they're back in the full swing. So that's good to see for sure. But man, yeah, that... they they just help you with hunting, you know infinitely like that's why i say i'd like i would like to do more of them i should probably do more of them uh because they just put you in those i mean you know hunting situations and you know it just makes you that much more deadly i think when you're in the bush well and it's funny you bring up the oilmans like that is that is an incredible shoot and they have a lot of topography out there so yeah you know you're shooting at a i think it was a 52 yard bedded um doll sheep but the elevation change was probably, you know, 60 feet. Um, so it was quite a drop, right? And, yeah. you know, you got to bend at the waist. And, yeah, it's makes it interesting, but it's a lot of fun. I, that's actually the shoot I took my son to. And he loved oh, is it. it. Oh, no way. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He took his little boy, too. Um, so he, uh, he had a blast. But uh, maybe next year I'll do that one with him, too. We'll see. Summer always yeah. seems to slip away, man. And then, uh, you know, it's it's like all of a sudden you're looking at the calendar and it's like, Oh man, it's August already. And then, you know, if you, if you know, here in BC, we we're pretty fortunate. You can go chase critters. I haven't in a few years, but September is not September first comes quick. So. Yeah. This is honestly the most unprepared for a hunting season I'd ever been like when opening day showed up, I'd only gone spotting six times. Yeah. Like I just, I'd done two camera card polls. Like you said, I don't know where the summer went and I still haven't found it, but it happened yeah, somewhere. Oh dude. I, I like, Hey man, I'm in the same situation where like, normally I've had like, 
I got a, a bag full of trail cameras and it's like September 1st rolls around. I pull the bag on, they're all in it. And I'm like, fuck, <laughs> like I'm just like, just a scatterbird. Like, just like, I don't know, like it, just so hard, like with the kids and their stuff going on. And it's just like, Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll definitely get out next week for sure. And then the, we, all of a sudden, you know, it's Sunday, Saturday night and you're like, Oh, I'll go tomorrow. And you're like, Oh no, we got this going on. And it's just like, it just, yeah, it just, it just runs with you. It's, it's crazy how fast it just time flies by, but um, yeah. yeah, I mean, we're in it now. So um, we still got some time left and it's good to see you got an elk down a beauty, beauty elk. And Thanks. Uh, we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll get, we'll get into that here. Um, Cause private land hunter. Yes. You access how much private land hunting do you do would you say um other than you know sheep and mountain hunts um 100 private is that right yeah and see yeah. i i don't have you know i do most of my stuff is is public land i don't have any access to any private land so what would you say there's the difference between that you could think of that is the difference between hunting like private land to public land um, yeah, lots of differences and I wouldn't, I was having this conversation with a guy the other day. Um, so private land, um, you know, obviously, and, and let me preface this. I am 100% spoiled. I understand that our family's ranch has been there for over a hundred years. My grandparents went to elementary school with all our neighbors. Um, you know, we've just been there a long time. So we get a lot of access because of who our family is and just been there so long, knew all the neighbors. That's been changing quite a bit the past few years because, you know, people are passing on and maybe their kids don't want to take over the ranch. And, you know, so they're selling it and whatnot. And um, Calgary has a lot of money and people come out, buy up a quarter section and they don't want random people they don't know running around their land, which I mean, I, I get it. It's their land. And um it's their little piece of paradise. Right. Um, but private land, I mean, it brings its own challenges. You got to work within, uh, each landholders means, you know, sometimes you have to call or text them before you go on. Right. And so it's not like, you know, you're driving down the road and there's a hundred head of elk in their field. You can't just run on, you got to call or text them. And then you got to wait for the okay to, you know, come back. And other guys don't want you in there while their cattle are in, but you know, you grew up raising cattle my entire life. And so I'm, I'm not worried about it, but that's their rules. And, yeah. you know, other people don't want you to shoot moose, which legally they, they can't tell you what you can and can't shoot. But if you shoot something, they don't want you to, you're never going to hunt there again. Right. Yeah, so right. Um, it brings its own challenges. One thing, you know, where that's pretty nice is um, if you find an animal that has big potential and you assess the area, uh, there's a chance you can let it grow up. You know, if you right. see a 175 inch, you know, three-year-old mule deer, you can wait till it gets four or five or six and, and watch it grow up and, you know, pattern it. Um, so that's really nice. And yeah, there, there's challenges like, um, you know, just even, you know, going around and getting that permission each year. And, um, you know, this past year, I, I couldn't get a hold of one landowner and, um, yeah, he changed his cell phone number. And so, I mean, that was its own challenge and trying to figure that out. So I, I definitely think public land is, is harder to kill animals on um, because not only 
I would say there's a lower density, but uh, there's also the competition of other hunters. Mm-hmm. For me specifically, I would say that private land is probably equally as challenging because of the maturity and the class of animals that I'm targeting. Right. Gotcha. Like, I, I think this year I've only found two or three whitetails that I would shoot. Um, I have not found a mule deer I would shoot. I haven't found a bull moose that I would mm-hmm. shoot. Um, you know, I shot a great bull elk, but I, you can target elk. Um, it's extremely difficult because they're very nomadic. I mean, it mm-hmm. depends where they decide to run that morning and, you know, who knows what shows up. So, well, and that's think- kind of what I feel when you talk about like private land, public land. And like, I know my brother, he lives out in Alberta there and he has private land that he, he has permission to go hunt on. And like, I talked to him and it's like, it definitely is, it's to me, the way I listened to him explain it, we were out there this summer and, and uh, he traps beavers for the guy. That's kind of his deal. He, he traps the beavers and then he lets them hunt his land because the beavers build these dams and it floods his fields and stuff like that so but like other than the fact that he's the only one hunting it mm-hmm. it doesn't to me it, it's like well it, it he's like yeah last year i had a i had an elk right there but i couldn't shoot it because it was 10 feet on the other or the, on the other side of the fence line and i don't have permission to hunt over there and it's like oh <laughs> like that would drive me fucking bonkers you know what i mean like just sitting yeah. there being like okay move come on come on and you know he's not gonna and he's like oh i knew he wasn't gonna come on like i knew he wasn't coming this way and i'm just like oh my god and you pulling my fucking hair out just sitting there watching that like i hunt some places like around here where i know there's private land and you can you you pattern like like the deer and stuff they come into the fields and they eat but then as soon as it starts getting hot they hump the fence line and they go bed down in there for the day but you know like that's where they're going to be and like what they're going to you know they're going to bed down and if the sun is in a good spot where they're going to get sun all day and shade all day they'll stay there but if it's not they're going to get up and move so you just you, you kind of just got to observe and watch them but i know for a fact like i know exactly where they're going like like to a t like they're going right there every day but i mean i, I definitely listening to him and 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 talking to him and just going over spots it definitely it just seems so vast too and he's like yeah you can hunt all this and you're like okay and then you look around and you're like it's not like it's like private land and it's just like open up the gates and like all the animals are in there and you just get to take your pick right and like i think some people think like oh that he, that guy has access to private land so that's why he kills all the deer no you still you still have to like find the deer it's still the bush like those those parcels are massive there's still massive tree lines in there and there's everything that private public land has that you know, it's, it's on both sides of the fence, but yeah, no, it's, uh, to me, it, it definitely has it definitely, I definitely see the challenges in it for sure. Well, and then even, it sounds like maybe where I hunt's a little bit different than, uh, your brothers because it, it's not vast amounts of land. It's like, oh, I have permission on this 80 acres and oh, that's okay, it. Yeah. yeah and little, then it's like, sections. yeah. And then a mile over, you know, I might have 160 acres. Mm-hmm. And then, so it's like very compartmentalized mentalized um and then one of the other challenges is you shoot something and it goes on somewhere where you don't have permission they don't have to allow you to retrieve it and you can call fish and wildlife and they can tell fish and wildlife no the only way fish and wildlife the way i understand it and i've been told 
Um, the only way that Fish and Wildlife can retrieve that animal is if a crime has been committed and now it's part of evidence. Oh, no kidding. I thought, yeah. I wonder if that's ever happened where they're just like, no, we're not going to let you just, you're going to let that thing rot. You're just going to sit there and let it rot. I'm, I'm sure I'm it's sure happened. It really? It's happened to us. Yeah. No kidding. And see, that's the thing. And like, when you think like 80 acres, yeah. If you own, like if I owned 80 acres, I'd be like, yeah, like you got a lot of land. Mm -hmm. But like, when you think about like hunting, 80 acres, isn't that big? No. I mean, it gets oh. pretty small, pretty quick. When you start walking around, trucking around 80 acres, it's, it's, not a lot of land in terms of hunting yeah yeah absolutely and you know you think you're on a deer you're four inches back from where you want to be and it's a liver shot you know that deer is going to go 600 right. yards maybe right? right and you know you have blood on your side of the fence you can prove you shot it where you have permission and they're just like nope and i go okay like can i get fish wildlife nope i'm not letting them on either and there's That's... nothing you can do <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's true. And, and yeah, things like that, I guess those are all hurdles you have to deal with for sure. And it's funny, like, I, I know there's that stigma out there where guys are like, yeah, oh, he just hunts private land. So, you know, it, it's, you know, that's why he shoots all the big animals. But I mean, yeah, I, from I'm looking at it, just talking to my brother and talking to you and like, and talking to other guys, I know that it's like, man, you know, it's, it definitely has its challenges for sure. And it, it you know, and like you said, I mean, if you're just targeting, like uh, hunting here in BC and you've hunted in BC, it's like, there's basically like you, you're going to, you can't run out of room. Do you know what I yeah. mean? Like you can't, like you, I, you can't walk enough to cover everything. doesn't matter. You yeah. can hunt. I could hunt all hunting season and, st and never run out of room. If I'm walking around, you know what I mean? Like, obviously if I'm just trucking around on logging roads, I'm going to run out of logging roads in a certain area to hunt. But if I'm hiking around the bush, I'm never going to run out of room. I'm never going to run out of places to hunt. So well, and that's why I loved about the mountain goat, you know, outside of the unit borders, which mm -hmm. obviously limit you, but put that aside for a second, your limiting factor is your own will and determination. You are the only thing stopping you, right? It's like, you want to go six miles that way. All right. Grab your stuff and start going. Yeah. Like it's yeah, great. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And, and like BC has such massive units. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like they're not like, I mean, you look at any like region six or, or, you know, how many subunits are in region six or even like in region eight where I am, like, there's not a lot for the size of the, for the size of the, of the space you're covering. You know what I yeah. mean? Like you're, there's just not. So like, and, and a lot of those, you're right. Like you do get in some places you do get your bordering where it is but a lot of the places a lot of the units it's you know if you're in like here if you're in 812 like basically 81 through like 815 are all the same right so i mean you that's a lot of ground to cover you're never going to cover that much ground i mean you start walking around you start realizing how big everything is right oh yeah <laughs> you're not, yeah absolutely you're not cover it, you know and so when you compare that to like I'm, I'm thinking you know when you're if you're hunting these parcel sections and like Alberta is a lot of a lot of square parcel like it's it's was squared out that way so when you start breaking it down that way yeah like you're allowed you got 80 acres here and you hunt that but then like miles down the road you do have another 160 acres but you know that again it's not like you can just be like well I'm just going to make my way over to this one right like you yeah. can't you're not you're not walking across and and you know hunting at the same time you gotta you know you gotta leave go over there come up with a different strategy and like you said too is that the animals 
they're not bound by any fences. They're not bound by any, you know, I, you know, there's no limit to where they're going to go. Right. And so it definitely, I definitely, when you start thinking about it, thinking about the process, man, it, it, to me, it seems almost more frustrating because you, you, the animals aren't limited to where they can go, but you're limited to what you can do and, and where you can go. Yeah, absolutely. And then the other thing too, like, it's great to hunt private land, but if it's you and six other people that can hunt there, that's almost more frustrating because now there's, you know, seven people on, you know, even if it's a full quarter section, 160 acres, typically it's not all bush. So say 80 acres of it is huntable. Okay. Where's seven people competing inside 80 acres and maybe not everyone's the same experience level. Right. And so, oh yeah. And and that's another good point too, because there's nothing more frustrating than being in an area. And like, we just had this, we're like, we're sitting out there and like, uh, we're we're listening to, to elk calls and like, right away you can tell it's not an elk calling, right. It's somebody somebody else calling. You're like, this is so frustrating because you're in an area where you want to hunt elk and you have somebody who is new obviously new to calling i'm hoping they're new to calling and they're throwing those calls out and it's like that's it right like that's the only like nothing's going to call back to that and everything's just going to shut up so even if you were to start calling or start doing your sequence nothing's going to be talking it's like well what was that like it's not happening so yeah if you get a couple of guys out there who are inexperienced and you know they're stirring up the bush and they're doing things that they shouldn't do yeah that could be extremely frustrating you know, everybody, like I have friends like that. I hunt with it, <laughs> but you know, it, it, it's still a good time. We're getting out and getting out with friends, but I mean, you go through some things and it's like, man, like, what did you just do? Like, why did you do that? Like, yeah, but uh, yeah, that's a good point. I never, I never really thought about that aspect of it. So let's talk yeah. a little bit about hunting elk in Alberta. What, so like, uh, what's your setup for like that beautiful bull you took this year? How did you, how did you, let's hear about your hunt. Yeah. So, I mean, I know typically where the bulls will summer and they're summering in bachelor groups. So, you know, you run trail cameras, try and try and see what's around. Um, you're not going to catch them all, you know, so you do some spotting, see what's around. Um, and that morning specifically, um you know the elk we knew where they were feeding um and there wasn't a lot of trees on that property and typically they would come out of the field come up through the trees um and then work their way to the to this half section so 320 acres where there's zero hunting um and that's where they would bed so we but where they bed there's no there's no feed so they're coming down to this alfalfa crop they're feeding there and then they're working the way back now typically they're leaving pretty early um you know often before legal shooting light because it's the rut they're typically the bulls are running cows they're staying out a little bit longer um so we're able to sneak in there get ahead of them um i set my one that friend of mine Cody that was out from BC I put him in in the first spot like I have I have 91 days I can hunt elk um where I'm at so and he had six so I was like all right you you can get set up and he had some great opportunities and and uh he had an opportunity that morning and and it didn't work out um and so he sent me a text that he got a shot and I said okay you know just stay put stay low 
um, you know, there's still lots of elk around. I can hear them calling. And so I was actually um, in a tree stand on, on basically their escape route. And so I'm sitting there and it's, it's not a big tree stand. Like, man, I think I'm maybe huh, from the base of the tree maximum, like 15 feet off the ground. But where the stand is, it's, there's kind of like a, a little swale. Um, so I'm 15 feet from the base of the tree, but the benches, you know, at 20 yards, I'm only six, seven feet above the ground where those benches are. And so I can hear, I can hear the elk coming um, and I can hear a, a bull. Um, well, lots of bulls are screaming that morning, but one in particular sounded pretty stout. So yeah, they started coming and I was standing up, had my bow in my hand and um, cows started filtering past me. And uh, we hadn't, we'd spotted this group a couple of days before and hadn't seen a bull that really stood out as something that I'd want to take. So um, I didn't have super high hopes, but I thought, you know, okay, uh, I'll let most of them go past and maybe take one of the last cows. Cause I got a couple antlerless tags. Um, so yeah, they started filtering past and the scream just getting louder and more aggressive and you could see bushes. It was pretty thick. So like 40 yards, I could see the odd time move through the tree to the south of me, but I couldn't get a, a grasp of what it was. I mean, it could have been a spike for all I knew at that point. And yeah, the, the cows just kept filtering past. I think the farthest cow was maybe 40 yards. The closest cow was two, two yards going past the tree. And this bull come in and I, I finally got a good look at him at about 30 yards. And I was like, no, that's, it's a pretty stout bull. It's a pretty good bull. <laughs> and he's putting on a display. And then, um, I don't know, he was kind of a little more uphill and most of the elk were, on the downhill side of me. So he was angling and he was coming right for me and he stopped at 17 yards and started thrashing trees and bugling and he's pissing all over himself and he's putting on a show, but he's straight on. And I was getting pretty worked up seeing this. So, I mean, I've hunted elk lots um, and I've, I've killed some good bulls, but I've never been in that situation where I've had a bull sub 20 yards absolutely just losing his mind like he was going crazy and um he turned there was kind of he walked into kind of like a bit of a deadfall with some willows that he had to go around so he turned broadside and when he did i i drew back and he hit my window and he stopped there at 17 yards threw his head back and let out a bugle and i touched it off mid bugle and i hit him and um it looked oh, picture perfect. Yeah, he lunged forward. I saw my arrow break off. Uh, saw the lighted knock laying there on the ground. Watched, kept a good eye on where he went. That's one thing I've really learned over the years is when I watch them run, I start taking mental notes. It's like, okay, he ran past that willow tree with the bird bush in it. And then he ran past that dead log. Because when you get on the ground, you start looking for blood. Everything looks different, right? Mm -hmm. and a lot of people get so caught up in the moment they're like well i think he ran this way but really you know it was 20 yards yeah. over so yeah. watched him and then yeah not long after it sounded like a gurgle or just a really poor bugle and i'm like i don't know if that was another bull or if that was him like it it just sounded off so got up and um I got out of my stand. I, I saw the elk leave the field and go on to the next property. So I got out of my stand, walked over to my buddy in the blind. And 
we started looking for his arrow and his blood and, and couldn't find anything. And I said, okay, well, I'm pretty sure I got a good hit on my bow. Like I found the arrow, um, you know, great penetration, uh, lots of good blood on the arrow. So I wasn't too worried about that. And I said, look, there's not a lot of bush here. Like let's, let's just grid search this. It's going to take us an hour. We'll grid search it. Came up with a plan, how we're going to grid search it. Turned on the tracking device on my, um, eye hunter and started grid searching. And while we were grid searching, making sure he didn't uh, hit a bull, um, we actually found my bull um, and he had only went 80 yards and yeah, I ended up shooting him right through the heart. And um, so he might, he might be a little upset with me for telling this, but when I was pulling my elk out, um, we found his arrow in my bull. Oh, no way. Yeah. Yeah. So uh quartering away shot, um, he shot a little low and it uh, hit the bull <coughs> right under, <coughs> excuse me, right underneath the brisket and was stuck in that fat wow. and hair. And, and uh, yeah, that That's bull came crazy. in. Yeah. came into you just screaming his head off um, at me. And, and while he was bugling, he, he had an arrow still in him, but it was just in the <laughs> fat, the skin and, Fuck, those yeah. things are impressive, man. Like, yeah, wow, that's crazy. I, yeah, I, I've, I've, you know, it, you, you do see, like, I've come across, I've, I've shot bears and stuff, and you find like twenty-two bullets and like they're, you know, in their back leg or something like that. You come across some weird stuff, but man, yeah. that's impressive. Wow, yeah. and he just never showed any signs of being hit. And I mean, it didn't, it did hit, it didn't hit anything but fat and skin. Like yeah. it didn't hit any bone or anything like that. So, wow, that's crazy. Imagine Jesus. That's still like to still have an arrow in yeah. you. Like, yeah, that's fucking like that's crazy, man. That that's cool though. That's a cool encounter to have that thing that close and just like just kicking ass. Like, wow, yeah. What? But that's man, good bull, man. Good bull. So when you guys are hunting, how much do you guys like? How much does water play into um, where you guys are hunting? Um, I would say very little. I mean, like I said, a lot of our area, um, you know, is pretty broken up. Like I think the biggest ranch around us, there's, there's two big ones and they're about three sections. So, you know, about 2000 acres and those are like the two biggest ranches, but you know, your typical ranch is maybe a quarter section, a half section, and every one of them is going to have a dugout on it for their cattle. Right. right? Yeah. So, I mean, the farthest they are from water pretty much at any given time is maybe five, 600 yards. So water's not a concern. Um, you know, there's a lot of agriculture in our area. So whether it's a standing barley crop or a standing oat crop or second growth alfalfa or bales that are still left in, uh, in the fields, you know, there's a lot of food sources. So um, it really comes down to, you know, wind um, pressure uh, from other hunters that dictates where they go. Like they don't even care about cattle. Mm -hmm. I mean, they'll bed down and there'll be, you know, 80 head of cattle in the same bush with them. And they just, really? they don't care. They're used to it. Well, no kidding. I, I know when I'm yeah. talking to my brother this year, he said there was a lot of pressure, uh, not on the area that he was like on his, uh, approved area that he was allowed to hunt on the private land. He was allowed to hunt on, but like, other areas where the same group that he was watching was pressured they were pressured really hard by other hunters on you know the 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 section next to him and he said that had a huge that played a huge role in like 
you know, he's been, he's been out working it hard and he just hasn't had any sex, but or success, but he said the, uh, the elk are really pressured in this year on, on where he's hunting them this year. So, um, yeah, that could, I guess that could play out really well for him, right? Like if he hunts it very low pressure and doesn't force opportunities, what I typically see happening is those low pressure areas basically become a vacuum, almost like right. a safe haven and everything it takes elk you know, about a week to figure out where the safe areas are. And then it's just a vacuum and it will suck everything right in there. Yeah. Nice and calm. Yeah. That's what that's I, I, talking to him. And that was his game plan. He was just gonna, he was just gonna lay low and then just work the same stand until, you know, he's just hoping something's going to slip up and walk in front of him. But man, exciting. Good times. Yeah. So much fun. Uh, so what do you got planned next? Uh, whitetail. I've, yeah. I've found, um, yeah, pretty good whitetail that uh, i've been after I, I did have a shot opportunity at him um 25 yards uh he was in standing canoa and um yeah my my arrow caught the canoa and it just stopped it dead in its tracks didn't arrow didn't even make it to him yeah so oh, yeah sure it'd be fun. just trying to chase him down yeah yeah that'd be good be good to see man it's uh yeah it's uh it comes quick man it's like it's it's you know we wait we wait and we work so hard and like we we make sure you know ourselves and our bows and are tuned and we shoot so much and like we anticipate this this time of the year and it seems like man as fast as it comes to show up it just leaves even faster i mean like now i mean you know it's the 26th of september already and it feels like it was just september 1st yeah absolutely and i mean we're going to be going into october here right away and you know before that it's going to be november and we're going to be in the whitetail rut and yeah before you know it, we're going to be talking about the 2023 season yeah for sure you know it'll be christmas and then we'll be thinking about yeah plants for 2024 so yeah. yeah man it's gonna be it's gonna be lots of fun okay dude thanks for coming on man it's been uh it's been good chatting again it's always a pleasure this is your second time on the show so it's uh I, you know we we kind of touched back and forth about getting you on before uh you got out to to chase some elk but i mean it's great to uh hear about successes and 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 hear you know kind of a bit about your strategies for hunting private land um, yeah and i guess one thing too i didn't touch on i'll leave you with quickly too is um one thing that really dictates how i hunt private land is um you know if i share access right like you know you get in on elk or whitetail and if i'm sharing access i might hunt a lot more aggressive um, because you don't know what those other people are going to do, but if you're the only one that hunts it, you can, you know, slow play it and wait for those right opportunities. So, um, then it turns into a game of chess between you and the animal and that's a pretty cool experience. Right. So, so if you are hunting with a guy who doesn't like, who has permission to hunt on the same land, do you know, do you typically know who those people are or, or do you ever, do you ever like try to work with them and in instances? Yeah. And so a lot of times, um, you know, it depends how big the property is. Uh, so there's some properties that I hunt that, you know, there's not a lot of available spots. It might be a big land track, but there's not a lot of spots you can hunt. So if, if I roll up and I see their truck there, I'll just move on. You know, I'm going to let him have his day and enjoy it. And, um, he was up earlier and beat me to it. So, you know, good for him. Yeah. Let him have that day. Um, other places, uh, you know, we, we have our stands and, um, you know, there's some communication going back and forth. Like, Hey, I'm going to be there. Yeah, I am too. Okay. What stand are you going to? Okay. I'm going to this stand and, yeah. you know, work together. 
Um, and then there's some places it's, it's just a free for all and it's a madhouse. And, and honestly, those places I found the best thing to do is I go and get my stand and those guys walk all over and they're just pushing game. And I have great, you know, success and opportunities because they're pushing the animals around and I'm not doing anything where I'm at. So it's great. Yeah. We find that a lot too. And like, if you get to a place where, you know, there's good animals, but there's also a lot of road access, you can, if you get in like between the road accesses and you hunt in those areas, it's like, those are like just little funnels for animals. Like they just, there's, they're, they're staying away from the road traffic and they're, you know, you're, you're going to have to get into, you got to get out of your vehicle. You're going to have to do a little bit of hiking, but if you could get in there and work those areas, man, you can come up with some great opportunities. Well, and other things I've found too, on like, um, you know, private land, some of the biggest deer that I've found, like I found a, a mule deer. He ended up getting shot, but he went 234 non-temporal. And he was living 20 yards off a major highway underneath some willow trees. Yeah. And, you know, he would get in his bed before daylight and he'd, you know, come out that last little bit. And, um, but just, it was overlooked. It was an overlooked spot. And I think that happens with some public land is people have it in their mind that they got to, you know, go the deepest and the farthest mm-hmm. and, that's where the animals are and and they're walking past some great animals and um you know we wanted to get to a different spot this year when we were goat hunting and and i looked at the guys i'm like why are we walking past goats to go goat hunting like yeah Yeah. we're not in as far as we want to go but this is great and they're like yeah you're right like well it's true man like never leave whatever you're hunting never leave something to go find it it's like you know and but you do have like, I, I get like that way too, where it's like, man, I, I'm just curious. I just want to see what's over there. And like nine times out of 10, you do go all the way over and you're like, okay, well let's go back. Cause there's nothing. Yeah, there, but, um, absolutely. Yeah. It's fun. Okay, buddy. Well, thanks for the yeah. chat and uh, yeah. Uh, good luck for the rest of the season and uh, good luck getting that whitetail. I, I, I can't wait to see him. Yeah. Thanks a lot. And uh, next time you, you owe me your elk story. We never got there yeah for sure yeah i'm gonna i it's funny i i haven't talked to pete because he's in no cell service so i kind of figured uh i better wait for him to share it so okay well i look forward to listening to listening to that one okay buddy we'll talk to you later thanks again all right have a good night